Everybody doing good? Welcome to Connect. My name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and I just want to thank you for being here this morning, post-snowstorm, pre-snowstorm. Everybody know we got a big storm coming, huh? Well, you know, you get a couple days, you know, to hang out by the fire and have marshmallows now that the fast is over, I guess. Uh, You can get your worship guide out and you can follow along. We're in a series entitled Under the Influence. You can also follow along on YouVersion. The whole worship guide is inside that in a great application where you can follow along that way. Um, I'll, first of all, just want to reiterate the importance of No Excuse Sunday. Um, a lot of times people, we hear stuff and then we just don't, we don't respond to it. I just want to encourage you, if you would, let us know you're coming next week. We're, we're trying to plan something uh, to, to, uh, get, to get an idea how many people will be coming. So if, how many of you are on Facebook? Raise your hand if you're on Facebook. Okay, so probably at least three quarters of you are on Facebook. So if I asked how many of you have gone to our Facebook event page, then there'd be a different response. So I'm not going to do that. But if you would please do that, please do that. Go on there and join. Uh, we really appreciate that. That's just going to, again, let us know who's coming and, and um, we can prepare accordingly. It's just going to be, uh, I think, a really critical s- service that really kicks off the rest of our year and tells us a lot of things. And it'll tell you a lot of things in the process as well. Amen. Appreciate your response to that. Um, so this series uh, that we're in right now, I've never taught on this kind of information in a Sunday morning. Um, I think I've established, for, how many of you been here the last couple of weeks? Raise your hand. I promise you won't have to raise your hand all day, but uh, I just want to get all the exercise out of the way, that way you guys can rest. Um, but uh, how many just want to put both hands up just to get out of the way? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we, uh, we, we kind of established out of the gate, you know, the premise for this series and, and, and basically that there are people that every single day in the Christian experience that are not, 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 you know, enjoying the victory that Christ has for us. In other words, we know the destination from here to heaven may be secure for most people, I'd say, that are in this room. Maybe not all have that confidence, but most do. But sometimes the, the destination from here to where God wants us to be in this life is not secure. In other words, there, there are these roadblocks to the plan and purpose of God. We're not really feeling the fulfillment that God uh, really has um, desired for us. And so there, there are these impediments, these roadblocks that keeps us from, you know, living that, that victorious Christian life. And a lot of those things um, that, that hit us are, are these spiritual influences. And we established over the last couple of weeks, you know, uh, that we're living in a culture that is preoccupied with uh, spirits, demons, demonic influences, the paranormal. It's crazy. And we're overexposed and we are in turn un- undereducated. And, and movies that have been around for years, but they're now coming in, in um, you know, uh, high dosages. But I can remember as a child, you know, or young person, the movie Poltergeist, you know, and I think there's been like two or three of those. And I remember The Shining. Oh, my gosh. You know, I I couldn't watch the whole movie Um, that terrified me, you know, as a young person. And many, many, many movies that you could probably think of where the media has exposed us and attempted to educate us. Um, even one that I told you about that's coming up called The Lazarus Effect, where a woman actually comes back to life and she is uh, demonically possessed. And we, we talked about this from a biblical perspective because um, while the world can just overexpose us, the church just is scared to talk about it. And I just thought, you know, this is something you need to know. But more importantly, you need to know it because um, it could be influencing your ability to have um, mastery over your vessel. 
you, you, you don't have the freedom that you really want. And we talked about what are the, some, some of those areas. But kind of in week one, we basically said that demons are real. Amen. Uh, they, they can enter people, but that Jesus cast them out. Remember that? And then last week we talked about some of the characteristics of, of these fallen angels, these disembodied spirits, these, these demonic powers, and, and that, they're, that they're thieves, that they're vicious, that they're, that they're cunning, they're like wolves. And the thing about uh, wolves is that there's no way really to get away from the wolves, and we're the sheep, and so what do the sheep need to do? They need to run to the shepherd, right? And we need to make sure that we're not living on the fray, Remember when I was doing that, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, we need to get in the middle of the sheep and not keep living on the peripheral and on the perimeter. That's where we get picked off. But today, I want to talk to you about uh, really the number one uh, kind of uh, obstacle to really our ability to be free. And um, I'll, I'll preface it by reminding you that we talked about you know, the enemy tries to get into our lives, not to possess us, but to try to influence us, to master us. Possess doesn't necessarily mean ownership. It's really referring to, in most cases, to mastery or influence. And so a lot of times it's because there's an open door. There's like an open window. And we're, we're a temple. We're a house. We're a, we're a vessel where sometimes there's, we allow the enemy into our life. And a, and a thief can come in sometimes to our house and attempt to, uh, and we'll talk about this next week. You don't want to miss next week, where a foothold can be become a stronghold. If he can just get the foot in the door, then he's going to continue to pry like a squatter and take new space and really abuse God's grace in your life in the process. But there are different ways that, uh, that we, can, we can leave those, those doors open, but the, but the number one open door is what we're going to talk about today. But let me, let me start with a couple of questions. Um, number one, do we as believers give or grant you don't have to answer this, but just think about this. Satan permission to influence, influence us in an area that ultimately leads us into bondage. Do we, is, there, is it possible that we could be living our lives giving Satan or Satan's work, his demonic followers, his, his dominions, influence in our lives that ultimately can create a bondage in our life? Here's another question that we'll answer today. This one will be very controversial, but does God ever grant Satan permission to take us bondage in an area and teach us something through it. This should perk your interest, but as you're thinking about that, I want you to think about the entire Old Testament in the process. In other words, God's people just keep messing up, messing up over and over and over again, and the enemy kind of comes in and, and takes you know, jurisdiction in their life, and then eventually they get into bondage, and then they eventually cry out, and then God sets them free and rescues them and saves them. I mean, that's the pattern. That's the cycle of the Old Testament. Is anybody out there? And so that's what's kind of going on a lot of times. But, but the enemy can come in through these different windows, and the number one window that we're going to talk about today is pride. Everybody say pride. So today is like about the pride ride, so to speak. Satan's fall, Lucifer, that was his former name, was because of pride. I mean, that's really, that's really like the first open door to, uh, to an angel becoming a fallen angel was pride. And in many respects, the greatest open door or challenge in our life is the same. And what's interesting or amazing is that when we talk about pride, uh, many people are proud they don't have pride. <laughs> I'm so proud that I don't have pride. So before you dismiss 
this message, let me assure you that it applies to us all, amen? And I'm excited to share some, some new definitions, really, about pride that will help you see from God's word how uh, this pride ride can be an open door to the enemy in our life. It's, it's really pivotal also to next week's topic in a lot of ways. This is gonna, Next week will probably be my favorite of the series, but uh, the open door is pride. Let me give you three definitions of pride, okay? Here's the first one. Pride. An open door to the enemy's influence in our life. Pride is trusting in your own strength. Pride is trusting in your own strength. And we're going to study three characters in the Bible, Peter, Job, and Ahab, King Ahab. But Peter, let's look at this. In Luke chapter 22, in your notes, I think it's in there, verse 31 and 32, it says this. And the Lord said, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked, everybody remember that, He's asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, that would obviously indicate that he would fall away. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. So this is an amazing New Testament text to a believer. Jesus speaking to Peter says, Satan asked me, asked permission of me to sift you as wheat. But I want to tell you something, Peter, I prayed for you. When you fall, because you're gonna, when you fail, when you come back from that fall, strengthen your brothers. It's pretty strong scripture, isn't it? When you think about it. When you think about the implications and the application of a text like this. This word asked, the word asked in this text, remember I told you that Greek words, the, the, the original language of the Bible is not English, it's Greek. And so sometimes there could be three, four different meanings or words to describe an English word. So this word asked when you kind of break it up into and see it more appropriately through the lens of the Greek, uh, like, for example, a Greek lexicon, which is a tool, uh, you can see the word's definition more clearly. Let me give you the definition from a Greek lexicon. It says this, asked, in this case, to ask something and to receive what one has asked for. Here's another, this is what this word means in this verse. To ask for with success. To ask and receive. In other words, this could be translated, Satan asked and received permission to sift Peter. Get it? So that's what Jesus, that's what's going on here. In fact, in the New uh, American Standard Bible, it says it like this, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as we eat. In other words, he has a right. He has a right into your life. He has an open door into your life, Peter. And I personally believe that Peter was trusting in his own strength. I personally believe that, and, and, and that that was the open door to the enemy into his life. And sometimes, again, we said this last week, that when, when the reference is to Satan, it's not always him personally, but it is the work of Satan. There are very few people or situations that merit the personal attention of Satan himself, but it can uh, merit uh, demonic influence in our life. But I believe, we'll, we'll see this verified by different texts, that Peter had a very, very big problem with pride, and he, his pride was trusted in his own strength. And I believe we can see this surface from, from conversations that happened actually earlier in the text and in other texts. But this particular text in Luke does not show the previous conversation, but Matthew, Mark, and John, those are the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the four gospels. Uh, Matthew, uh, Mark, and John do show the conversation. And this is what happened. Look at Mark 14, 27 through 31. It says, Jesus said to them, this is the conversation that happened before Jesus said what he just said to Peter real strong. He said, all of you, everybody say all of you, all of you. 
will be made to stumble because of me this night. Or it is written, in other words, he's quoting scripture, so, so he's saying this is going to happen. Uh, um, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Peter said this, he goes, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Peter, assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter spoke more vehemently, or, or you could say arrogantly. He said, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, Jesus. And I think Jesus is trying to say to Peter and to the disciples, what part of all did you not understand? Is everybody tracking out there? And he's saying, all of you are going to deny me. Oh, not me, Peter says. Not me. Maybe those weaklings over there, but it's not going to be me. I would never do that to you, Lord. Peter says, you're going to do it tonight. It's going to happen today. You're going to do it three times, Peter. Nope, not me, Lord. I won't do that, even if I have to die. Jesus says to Peter, there's a scripture, Peter, in the Old Testament that says you will. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Bible's wrong, Jesus. It's not going to happen to me. What do we see here? We see that Peter has a massive problem with pride. Everybody say pride. pride. Turn to your neighbor say pride. The Bible's wrong. Here's another example with Peter. Just so you can see, uh, Pastor Deej was talking about Peter on, uh, on Friday night at All Access, and, and it, it just got me thinking about all these different examples with him. But Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. How many know Jesus was on a mission, right? And so he lived to die, so we could die and live with him forever. But he had a plan and a purpose for being here on this earth. And so he's telling them that. And he says he must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. He had a close relationship with them, and he's unpacking the plan. He's speaking plainly to them. Oh, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Let me just say, you got to be feeling pretty good to rebuke the Son of God. Okay? He, <laughs> unbelievable. He says, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned, and this is what Jesus did. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Whew, that's brutal. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, if that doesn't help you see something about what I'm trying to talk today about today, I don't know what will. Jesus looked right at a man and said to the man, you know, or said really to the spirit in the man, get behind me, who? Satan, he said. He was addressing really Satan in the man. You following me out there? And so whatever you want your theology to be about this, you know, I'm not sure whether he was on him, in him, around him, behind him, whatever you got, he was talking to Satan in Peter, okay? And remember also that right before all of this, Jesus had uh, changed Peter's name. I don't know if you guys know this from the text, but he was originally calling him Simon, and then he says, I'm going to now call you Peter, and, and it's just this it's a really powerful and kind of foundational text for salvation, not for the church, by the way, which is a big thing between Catholicism and Protestantism, which is another story altogether, which we could talk about. But basically, he's saying, Peter, you're, gonna be, you're, you're, you're the rock now. This conf your, 
Peter, Peter Small Rock, this confession where you realized that I was the son of God and, and you realized who I was and that revelation that you had about me. You're, I'm going to call you Peter now. But now he calls him Satan. I think, I think when he called him Satan, Peter's like, I like Peter. <laughs> Can we go back to Peter? Even Simon would be good. But I, Satan? Ah. Uh, so do, do, do you realize that when another story, and I won't pull the scripture out right now, but one time they came to arrest uh, Jesus, one of, and one of his disciples, I wonder if you can guess who, cut off a soldier's ear. Anybody remember this? Do you know, who, do you know why he cut off his ear? Why Peter did that? Because he missed his head. Because he was so proud. He was trusting in his own strength. Peter was so cocky. He was going to take on a total, like a garrison of soldiers. You know, he wasn't, he was, he was literally trying to split this guy's head wide open. Here's, here's the point in Peter. Because of this open door of pride, this pride ride that, that Peter went on, um, Jesus basically said to him, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan has demanded. Satan, I've, he has a right now to sift you as wheat. And he, to, to attack you. And, and you've opened the door up to him. And then as we talked about this before in previous weeks, uh, what happens when that happens? So because of this pride, because of this trusting in his own strength, multiple examples, and many we probably don't know. And I love Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters, and we'll, we'll get to that in the Bible of all. But, but Peter, eventually, because of this opening, he does something that is completely uncharacteristic for him. He actually, he actually went from being a very strong, anybody that would be willing to take on, there could have been a, a garrison of soldiers there at that moment. Or maybe, you know, a centurion, centurion, that's mean, that means he's over 100 soldiers. There could have been 100 soldiers there when they came to arrest Jesus. And Peter's going to take them all on. This is a guy who felt pretty confident in himself. Are you guys tracking with me? This wasn't a wuss. This was a strong dude, and he was pretty self-confident, okay? But because of that pride, he opened himself up to the enemy, and that same disciple that was willing to take on soldiers, die for his, his faith, rebuke the Son of God, only moments later denies Christ to a female waitress. If you look at the story in context. And even curses and swears, and, and, and just gets just, you know, just vehemently or arrogantly in denial of who God is. You can read that in Mark 14 on your own. And hear me on this. Many, many, remember I told you this is a pastoral series? Many uh, mature Christians fall into the trap that I'm talking about this morning. Many. Many in this room, including myself. We walk with the Lord a long time, and we begin to trust in our own strength. Is it possible this is why King David fell? You know, he was a very strong leader. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Number two, pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Now we're going to look at the life of Job. Pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Look at Job chapter, you guys getting something out of this so far? Job chapter 1, verse 6 says this. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Interesting. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. 
You know how we know from 1 Peter 5, 8, it says the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's going to and fro. He's all around there. Rawr, rawr. He's all over the place with no teeth, but he's a big lion roaring and stuff like we talked about. But this is, this is similar to that reference. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright, upright man, one who fears God, shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, God, would you think about this? Stretch out your hand and touch all he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, look at this. The Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. What did God just do? He just gave permission to the enemy. He grants permission to Satan. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. In other words, don't, don't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. By the way, that's an interesting contradiction to some people's theology, that because uh, Christ lives in us, the enemy can't be in the presence of God. Well, first of all, he's omnipresent, so that would mean no demonic spirit could live at all because he's God's everywhere. But he, but, oh, but he can't live in the manifest presence of God. Well, I th- that, so the temple is where the presence of God lives. Well, if he could be in the presence of God right here at his throne, he certainly, that's where the manifest presence of God is, right? Anyway, you gotta get, we just got to get our theology sometimes right, make sure we get things clearly here. It's a very difficult passage, this, this particular text. And if you just looked at this one verse, which theologically is called eisegesis, you just kind of take a verse and you just try to make a case out of that, you're going to get in trouble. But if you read all, all the chapters in the book of Job, 31 chapters, is 32, I think, but 31 chapters, uh, you, you begin to see what this whole thing is about. And there's three friends that Job has. And if you, nobody wants friends like Job had. These were the worst kind of friends because they didn't really comfort him. But they do speak truth to him over and over and over again. And what they say, to him repeatedly is, Job, are you sure, are you sure there's not an open door in your life where the enemy could get in, where Satan could get in? Are you sure? Because what's, what's going on? Why are these things happening to you? And, and Job basically repeatedly says, nope, nope, not me. I, I've done all the things that I should do, and I've not done the things that I shouldn't do, and I've kept this, and I've kept that, and I've done this, and I've done that. And while he's going on repeating all his good works, there's a young friend, I think his name is Elihu, and he is kind of watching all this. And he's been quiet, basically. And I'm paraphrasing a lot of stuff, but he's been quiet. And he's listened to these other friends, you know, try to give different op- opportunities for Job to kind of, you know, give, give some kind of, you know, reply for why this is happening. And they're giving their opinions. And ultimately, Elihu just says, I can't take anymore. I can't shut my lips anymore. I thought you older guys were going to figure it out. But you can't. You're not being able to do it. i got to tell you what's really going on here. And so here's what he says. In Job 32.1, Elihu says, So these three men ceased answering Job, talking to him, because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of a really hard name to pronounce, and another one that follows, of the family (laughs) of Ram, was aroused against Job. His His wrath was aroused Listen to this. Here's here's the summary of the whole book of Job. Here's the summary of what was wrong with Job. His wrath was aroused because Job justified himself rather than God. He justified himself rather than God. 
Not good. Job 33, 8 through 9 says, Surely you have spoken in my, hear, in my hearing, and I've heard the sound of your words, saying, in other words, Elihu saying, Job, I've been listening to you for a while, and this is what you're talking like. This is what I heard you say. You said this. You said, I am pure, without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Really? Really, Job? Then you'd have to be Jesus if that was you. You'd have to be, if that's true. And then he concludes this, uh, Elihu says, I, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. I'm not going to be like you. My righteousness comes from God. So Job's sin was, uh, he ascribed his righteousness to what he did, not to who he knew. And this is a massive trap for believers, especially over time. In other words, when we get, give our heart to Christ, we realize that we're, we're saved by grace, through faith, that not of yourselves, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, basically paraphrased there. We know that. But over time, five years of Christian, 10 years of Christian, sometimes maybe 30 years of Christian, we stop doing some of the unrighteous acts that we once did. Here's, which is good, because, but an unrighteous acts are an open door. Unrighteous living is an open door to the enemy. Not saying that. But trusting in our righteous acts is also an open door to the enemy. And it might be the biggest one. It's quiet in here. I just want to note, God, that it's very quiet in here, but this is really good anyway. And I'm doing what you told me to do. Because we're made righteous by the blood of Jesus. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Is everybody out there? And when you, when you begin to believe and trust in your own righteousness, it's a huge, huge open door. In fact, there's another text in the New Testament. There's a man, and he's praying, and he came to church, and he, he came to church, and he says, thank you, God, that I'm not like the others. Huh. You know, this, this religious spirit can come in. And Job did this for 31 chapters. He compared himself to everyone else, but, but here's what happened. He kept thinking, I'm not like that, and I'm not like that, and I'm not compared to them, and compared to them, and compared to them, and compared to them. I'm not like that. You know what? God showed up. And he said, you want to compare yourself to someone? Why don't you compare yourself to me? Why don't you sit down and listen for a couple of minutes? Let me tell you a couple of things, Job. So this is what he does. He says, watch what God, watch what God says to him. Job 38. 8, 1 through 6 says, God's talking to Job. He says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Simplified, that means, what idiot is talking right now? <laughs> now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Watch this. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? What if God asked you that? Can you imagine? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Look at the sarcasm in this next statement. Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 12. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? One version says, have you ever told the sun when to come up? Verse 22, chapter 38 says, have you entered the treasury of snow? Do you know where I keep all the snow? Or have you the treasury of hail? By what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? In other words, can you tell it when to rain? Because I can, dude. <laughs> can you send out lightning that may go and say to it, here we are? One version says, does lightning come to your throne and ask you where to strike? Whoo, man. Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? How do they know how to do that? I, I helped them with that. Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? 
God ends with this. He says, would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Oh, I mean, zowie. I'll be like, that's a Zorro from Zeus. That's what, I, that's what I call that right there, okay? And of course, when Job hears all this, what does he do? He repents. And please hear me, I've seen a lot of believers trust in their own righteousness, and I believe in righteous living. I do with all my heart, but we can't trust in it. And, and, and I've heard people say things. One time there was a guy who was struggling, and he came in for counsel, and, and he wanted, he's like, I just, I don't know what's going on, and, 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 and all kinds of things where he was just seemingly under attack. And, and I asked him, I, I just started asking questions, just trying to surface, you know, where, where were, were there any open doors? And he basically said to me, he said, Pastor, it's going to sound maybe, you know, I, he, I forgot how he prefaced it. He's like, I, I'm, trying to be, I'm trying to be real. He says, but I've always done the right thing. I was like, ding, ding, ding. Oh, really? You have? Uh, and so I, I just like flinched in my spirit. And so what was he doing? He was trusting in his own righteousness. And so I think it's just important. Sometimes we think that we should be protected and we formulize with God and there should be a barrier and a buffer around the enemy. But when we're trusting in our own righteousness, that is a massive open door to the enemy in your life. There is no one righteous, no, not one, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 10, except Jesus. Number three, pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Now we're going to study the life of Ahab. He was not one who repented like Peter did ultimately and, or came back and like, and like Job. This is an amazing text from 1 Kings, but it's talking about King Ahab and Jezebel. My father used to call Ahab the sissy king and Jezebel the controlling queen. And you know the story probably where Elijah is just a great prophet of God. He calls fire down from heaven and he consumes the altar. But all the prophets of Baal that were under the, the, on the payroll of Queen Jezebel and also of, of King Ahab, they couldn't do it. And uh, at, there, was, there were some 850 prophets under their, under their, on their kind of payroll. And why did they do that? They, they, want, they took care of these prophets so they would speak favorably to them uh, in, the, in the things that they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. In other words, they had people around them would just say yes to everything that they wanted to do. And, and there are a lot of leaders who keep people around them that never say no and they never push back and it's just unwise. But Ahab asks in this particular text, he, in 1 Kings 22, he asked King Jehoshaphat. Ironically, Pastor Jesus was talking about this also. Jehoshaphat, really tough name, kind of a cool one, but Jehoshaphat was a good king. Ahab was a bad king. In fact, Ahab was the worst king ever. Uh, and and um, Jehoshaphat is consulted by King Ahab, basically saying this, that, um, hey, let's take back that city that is, that is supposed to be ours. Ramoth Gilead was the city. Let's take it back from our enemy. Let's go attack it. Let's work together on this. And so uh, Jehoshaphat says, okay, um, let's consult with a prophet. So Ahab goes and gets his prophets and they all, of course, uh, you know, he asked them, hey, if we're going to go to war, will we win? Will we have, oh, yeah, you guys are going to kick butt. It's going to be awesome. You're going to obliterate them. It's going to be incredible. Ahab comes back to Jehoshaphat, says, Jehoshaphat, this is what they said. Jehoshaphat says, how about we ask one more guy? How about, we, is there another prophet we can ask? In other words, he's, he's discerning and he's insightful and he realizes there must be someone else. So in 1 Kings 22, verse 7, Jehoshaphat says this, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, look at this, it's very interesting. He says, there's still one man 
Micaiah, not Micah, not, not Micah in the Bible. This is actually a, another prophet. Micaiah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. This is, what Jeho- this is what Ahab says. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And so they had to go get this prophet out of jail because Ahab had put him in there because he was mad at him because this particular prophet told him he was going to die if he didn't do what was right. And so they pull him out and they bring him. In verse 15, it says, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war? And basically what he says is, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. But then they realize, no, he's just he's playing it safe right now. And, 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 and Ahab has enough experience to know that there's more to it, and he's going to end up telling them. And so he says, what do you see? What did you see? And a little further down it says, I saw Israel scattered. No shepherd on the mountains. As sheep, they have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, don't go to war. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven, all the host of heaven. Remember that, host of heaven. This is referring to angels fallen and not fallen, standing by on his right hand and on his left. You know in the New Testament where it just talks about the sheep on on one side and the goats on the left? So there's always these parallels Old Testament and new to these different things. There's actually a special scripture I could allude to in 2 Kings 21 if you're interested in that where you can see that a host of angels was referring or host was a heavenly host was referring to fallen angels. But I won't reference it, but it's where Ahab was clearly worshiping fallen angels. He was worshiping uh, demons actually and even encouraged his family to do so. And that's why Micaiah had issues with him in a big way. And anyway, back to the main story about Ahab. 1 Kings 22, 20, it says, And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke, listen to this, so there's this inquiry. One spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. Is everybody tracking with this? A spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. This is an evil spirit, a demonic spirit, and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, the evil spirit, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these people of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. In other words, the Lord gave permission to this demon. I know this probably blowing some people's minds and some of your theology that are out there. That's why I want to I unpack this a little bit. A lot can be said about this, but first I want you to know this. This is what we can learn from this text and many others. God is in control of demons. He's the one who's giving permission. He's the one who's in authority. He's the one who has jurisdiction. And another thing that we can see from Scripture and many other references as well, that there really isn't a battle going on here between God and the devil. The devil is a created being. God is the creator. And he's in complete control. In fact, and this may be hard for you to hear, but sometimes he'll use the devil to complete his plans and purposes. Nevertheless, he's completely and totally in charge. See, many of us agree, yeah, demons are real. Many of us agree they can enter people, but we don't think they can enter us as a believer. Well, when I say enter, I don't mean possess, but we do see clearly from other texts they can influence us. They can attack us. They can attempt to master us or become a stronghold in our life. And, 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 and the devil can actually be in the presence of God, interacting 
He's, he's, he's now before the presence of God. Jesus is our intercessor, praying for us. But the devil's there basically accusing the brethren. Who? The brethren. Okay? It's quiet in here. I understand that. But here's this. When, when, you, when you sin and when you fall away from God, in particular in the area of pride, trusting in your own strength, trusting in your own righteousness, trusting in your own wisdom, you open a door to the enemy. And that, as a result, God may grant the enemy permission to act, have access to your life and try to sift you as wheat, just like it happened with Peter. There's a process, though. Just so you know, there's a process. He doesn't go from zero to that. There's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, where he tries to just speak to you in a still, small voice and get your attention. The Holy Spirit is the convictor, all right? It's one of his responsibilities. He's not a condemner, okay? Condemnation is when we hear something from God and then don't do anything about it. Condemnation is conviction unattended. So the Holy Spirit will convict us. Then when we don't respond to that, because that's easy to kind of turn down the volume on God because we're listening to so many other things and the world is loud and our circumstances are loud and our egos are loud and our selfish desires are loud. So then God will use people and he'll send a machai into your life, maybe in the form of your spouse, maybe in the form of a coach, maybe in the form of a complete stranger to speak to you. Please, 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 please. Don't trust in your own strength. Don't trust in your own wisdom. Don't trust in your own righteousness. Sometimes he'll use circumstances, though, which is the tough one. That's kind of the judgment phase of conviction, people, prophetic warnings, and then sometimes judgment. And that's where Satan is there. Will you let me at him? Okay. Why does he do that? I'll answer that in just a minute. But I can remember many situations in my life. I remember one time with a, there's a woman in this, in this room right now where we were trying to save somebody. They were, they were literally on self-destruct. They'd fallen away from the Lord, opened themselves up to all kinds of junk in their life, bunch of mistakes. They were just, uh, they were on a really dangerous path. And we went over to talk to them. And, and this particular person, when we were driving home, was saying, I really thought you went a little softer than I expected you were gonna go, Pastor. I thought you were gonna hit them pretty hard. And um, I can remember thinking, you know, I know what you mean, but Here's the deal. They think they're smarter than me. They think they're smarter than you. They think they're smarter than everybody. They're wiser than everybody. They know what's best. And, what was, and, and this person said, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen? And I said, you know what? God might use the enemy to get their attention. And hopefully then they will repent. And that's exactly what happened. The enemy got in there and just pummeled them. And at this point, they have not repented, but... But I think you know situations and circumstances like this in these situations. You need to understand that God is in control. And when you trust your own wisdom, God will try to warn you in his grace and in his mercy. And he'll try to do it through people, try to do that himself. He has a warning system. James says this in verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3. It says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, even demonic. Trusting in your own wisdom. In other words, there can be sometimes a demon talking to you and you think it's God because you're trusting your own wisdom and not in the Lord. And no one can correct, no one can direct you because you're smarter than everyone else, you're wiser than everyone else. And when you think, when you think that way, behave that way, it is a huge, I plead with you, it is a huge open door to the enemy. So would God ever grant Satan permission to attack you as a believer? Absolutely, I believe that. As much as I hate to tell you that, I believe that. We saw it with Peter. We saw that with Peter. We saw it with Job. 
Both of them repented, and we saw with Ahab, and he did not repent. And eventually, this is what happened to him. If you skip down, I think it's uh, 1 Kings 22, they were in battle, and they shouldn't have gone to battle. And, and, and Ahab tried to outsmart God. This is really what happened in the story. And he said, there's a special clothing that a king would wear in battle. And so he told Jehoshaphat, hey, you wear my clothes. You wear my armor. And he's trying to make it look like he was going to make him look good. But then when Ahab got into battle, uh, uh, he put himself like in normal armor, normal clothes, like a normal soldier. So Jehoshaphat looks like Ahab on the, uh, like Ahab on the field. And that way they would see him and want to kill him. Sure enough, they saw him. They're like, oh, that, that's, they thought that was King Ahab. And so they went after him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And then they realized that it wasn't Ahab. And somehow, miraculously, whatever you want to call it, Ahab was spotted. There, Ahab was, Ahab, was, Ahab was hit. In verse 34, chapter 22, it says, Now a certain man drew a bow at random, at random, and struck the king of Israel, that's Ahab, between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And he, he drowned in his blood. He died. Because he didn't repent. He, didn't, he tried to outsmart God. He tried to trust in his own wisdom. And he died. But remember, God warned him over and over again in his grace and in his mercy. He did so. Pride is trusting in your own strength. Pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Now, there's a scripture in Proverbs chapter 16, and it says, Pride, this is often misquoted. We always say pride goes before a fall, but that's not what it says. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So what can pride lead to? Destruction. And I know for, my, for myself, when I'm parenting my own kids, it may seem really, really strong, but I can remember when my kids, we lived down the street here, and we had a driveway that went onto the main road. I used to tell my kids, you stay right in this little area right here, and you bike right here. You understand me. I made it very, very clear. And then they go out and bike. And then I'd come out and I'd see them going down the side a little bit. And I'd come out and I'd stand right in front of them. I'd say, you need to do what daddy said. Stay back there and you just bike right here. Now, if my child, I remember one time Madison was heading for the street one time. And uh, thankfully by my voice alone, you know, at multiple decibel levels, <laughs> I was able to turn her around. But she had kind of lost control of her bike and on her little training wheels. And she was headed for the street. But I can tell you what that I would have had no compunctions, no problem, no issues with literally running and decking her if I had to, to save her from being hit by a car. And if that meant a scrape, a broken bone even, uh, you know, her, her poor little emotions, you know, you know, ruptured because her father, you know, would hurt her in some way, to save her life, that's what I would do. And that's in essence what God is doing when he uh, employs, let's just say, uses the enemy to bring us back to himself. But often our pride keeps us from repenting before something happens. And so I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down right now because I want to I pray about something and pray for you about something. And I want you to think about this. I want you to take a moment and be very honest with yourself. I had to do this myself. I had to go to church before I came to church today. But I was thinking again about how God wants us to be free in our life. And I can tell that I'm hitting nerves because it's very quiet in here this morning. And, and here's what I know. Here's what I know. I, I know that if we're honest with ourselves, there's some areas in our life that if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to kind of search us 
He'll reveal to us the areas of pride where we're not trusting in him. We're not trusting in his righteousness. We're not trusting in his wisdom. We're not trusting in his strength. We're trusting something or someone else. And I would just ask you to ask the Lord, do I have, is there an area of, of, of pride in my life that God wants to deal with? Because that's a massive open door to the enemy. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. The small group signups, we're going to have fun downstairs in a little bit. And, and tonight is SNL. We'll keep unpacking some of this stuff you don't want to miss tonight as well. But I, I just I want to encourage you. Would you just close your eyes for a second? I just want you to listen to the sound of my voice. And I'm going to pray for you, all right? But I want you to, I, I want you to ask this question to yourself. Is there an area that I have granted the enemy permission in my life? Is there an area that I've granted the enemy permission in my life? Some area of pride where I just won't let God in or go there. Simply coming to have someone pray for you can be a sign to God of humbling yourself. So many people, it's interesting, I was thinking, who, who, would, who would want prayer today? Maybe it's not as specific as they would want. It's more vague. I actually think all of us need prayer. And I'm not going to say everybody has to respond to this, but I really want to talk to the one that maybe hasn't come for prayer. You haven't come. This might, be your, this might be your open door. And by humbling yourself and coming and receiving prayer, it's going to say to God, I want to close that door in my life. Like, I don't need prayer for this. I don't need prayer for that. I'm good. I'm not like them. I'm not like that. What is that? What is that? That might be self-righteousness. Or I don't have those issues. I don't have that issue. So I'm good. I'm, I'm okay. Somebody else needs it more than that. Maybe that's trusting in your own strength. Or maybe, you know, I think I know what's wrong and I, I know what to do. I can handle it. I, maybe that's trusting your own wisdom. The enemy wants to close you down. But God wants to close the open door that's in your life. Father, in Jesus' name, for every single person that's here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what my words cannot do. It's a, it's a heavy message today. And in a way, if it brings about and yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that is exercised thereby, or in other words, that the work is good and it brings about a change, then I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would provoke us to growth and change, and that you would make us humble, humble followers of Jesus Christ. Whether we've been a Christ follower one day or 10 years, I pray that we come before you humbly every single week and every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. As they